everybody, Dr. Axe here. Welcome to another show. And today I've got a guest. And actually, this guest is somebody I've been friends with for over 10 years. It's Dr. Dave Jockers. Him and I, we probably met close to 14 years ago, I would say, yeah. uh, you know, at, at a seminar. And I've, I've respected Dave so much over the years. He is one of the best writers I've ever met, one of the best researchers, and somebody that has also ran a uh, functional medicine clinic and a chiropractic clinic and helping people get healthy using a lot of what we talk about here. Food is medicine. So I want to welcome to the show uh, my good friend, Dr. Dave Jockers. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Axe. Really appreciate it. I've always looked up to you and all the great things that you're doing and uh, just really great to reconnect here. And yeah, I think it's been like 14, 15 years. Amazing. It is. It's awesome. You know, I, uh, I'm excited to talk about a lot of stuff today. You're one of the per people I love being able to sort of talk shop with when we're talking about, you know, all these different forms of medicine, the ancient forms of medicine. I know you've written a book on the keto diet. It's called Keto Metabolic Breakthrough. You've written another book on fasting, which is really powerful. So we're going to talk a little bit today about keto, about fasting, but also about herbs and spices and, you know, different superfoods. And I know that you've, I've seen on your, on your website, by the way, if you guys want to visit Dr. Jock com. Dr. Dave has written some incredible articles on how to heal the body and overcoming numerous health conditions, you know, on a lot of, you know, the, the superfoods that can help you heal. So he's covered all that stuff. So we're going to cover a lot today. But Dr. Dave, I'd love to start off kind of getting into, um, you know, sort of the way you took care of patients and the way you see medicine and pe working and people healing, because today you and I both know conventional medicine is not working, it's failing. Hmm. And so when you have cared for patients both now and in the past, how do you really care for them? Like if you have somebody come in with a condition like diabetes, how do your treatments and your methods differ compared to the conventional or even some other natural practitioners today? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I look at everything and I, I always go back to the root cause, which at some level is chronic inflammation. So when we look at every degenerative disease, they're all marked by inflammation. So we've got to shut down inflammation. And that means we've got to restore balance and homeostasis to the body. So I always look at blood sugar. I look at the gut, you know, gut's a, a huge factor. I know you've written books on the gut. You're huge on, on leaky gut. And that's such an important factor. So we've got to address the gut. We've got to address blood sugar. We've got to look at toxins. So what is somebody being exposed to? Are they living in a moldy home? Are they, um, you know, are they, have they been exposed to a lot of pesticides and herbicides? Maybe they are, you know, maybe they've worked in landscaping or they do their own landscaping and they're spraying pesticides and things like that all over the place. Um, perhaps they've got heavy metals, maybe amalgam fillings in their mouth. You know, so we've got to look at the toxins that they're being exposed to on a regular basis. We've got to look at how are they, how are they sleeping and what's their stress levels? What are their stress levels like? So we've got to address that. So we've got to kind of go piece by piece and look at all the factors that have to do with inflammation and healing and repair. And so, you know, it's, it's normal to have inflammation. It's, it's normal and healthy. It's all part of the healing process. However, we should be able to adapt, heal, and regenerate. And so if somebody is, if they've got a lifestyle that's not allowing them to adapt, heal, and regenerate, then that is causing them to literally self-destruct, self right? Their body is breaking itself down, not healing effectively and, uh, and driving up inflammation. And, you know, it affects us all in different areas, right? So for one person, it might be um, thyroid issues. For another person, it might be PCOS or some sort of, um, some sort of reproductive issues. 
For another person, it could be diabetes or dementia, brain fog, right? So it's going to affect us in different regions. And, uh, but really the, the root cause always comes back to the same, the same list of, of things that we've got to look at and address. That's one of the things I love about you, Dr. Davis. You're always looking at the root cause and how to heal the root cause. And that's something, unfortunately, I, I kind of put things in three tiers. You've got doctors in conventional medicine today that, that only treat the symptoms and they do it with synthetic drugs, which unfortunately then lead to more side effects in most cases. And so the patient actually long-term gets worse, maybe short-term, hey, it's a temporary band-aid and things get better for a time or seem to get better. Long-term, they get even worse. You have on this yeah. other side, and then take a step in the right direction. You have a lot of people in this integrative med medicine field where they're, they're changing diet. They're giving some lifestyle tips. And maybe they're saying, hey, you have a you have a thyroid issue. I'm going to go ahead and recommend you take certain B vitamins and selenium or maybe some iodine. They're doing some good things there. But I think there's this whole other tier that you practice and it's what we teach here. And that is we've got to get to the actual root cause. We're going to look at your body and, and your ear. We're going to look at your, your emotions. How are those affecting your health? What's your mental state? You know, not, not just, and then we're going to look at diet, but we're also going to look at your sleep. We're going to look at the stress levels. We're going to look at nutritional defense. We're going to look at all of those things and helping somebody heal. And so again, that's one of the things that I really see you doing and you teaching is it's true root cause medicine. Unfortunately, there's actually some natural practitioners out there. A lot of them who they're still, they're kind of using, you know, herbs and like, I'll give you an example of this and I don't want to hijack the show. I just want to give this example because <laughs> I've heard you talk yeah. about this is that a lot of times it's like, okay, you've got a infection, a bacterial infection or a cold, take oil of oregano because it's a natural mm -hmm. antibiotic. But what about, how do we really strengthen the immune system long-term? Those are the sort of questions you ask. Any thoughts on what I, what I just shared with you? Yeah, totally. I mean, we, it's, it's, everything's always multifactorial, right? So it's not like there's one thing, <clears throat> even if you have an, a root cause infection, even, even if you have like a really bad stealth infection, like H. pylori or Lyme disease or something like that, somebody may have told you that was the cause of your problems, but actually there are so many different layers over it. It's like peeling an onion, right? We've got to continue to peel back and look at all these other factors that are allowing that organism to live out of balance with the rest of our body. And so really all these things, Lyme disease, H. pylori, even worms in our system, they actually can work in harmony with our body. They can actually be symbiotic influences on our body if things are in balance and homeostasis. It's only when we lose that balance, that sense of homeostasis, that these things get out of balance, right? They get out of whack and they drive up inflammation in the body. Well, Dr. Dave, let's go ahead and dive in there. And then I want to get into fasting and keto and yeah. these, these herbs to fight. I want to talk about cancer today and gut health and some other things, but let's go ahead and dive in. Let's talk about how do we bring balance back to the body? What are some of the key things that you look? So when you have a patient come in and you yeah. care for them, what are some of those key things you look at on? Here are some things I make, I have to make sure to address to bring balance back. Yeah. Well, first off, you know, we definitely, you talked a lot about emotions, so, right? So we got to look at our mindset and how we're looking at things. You know, are we, are we taking a victim approach to life? Or are we identifying with our, you know, with our symptoms or with our disease process, or are we looking at it like an overcomer, right? So we've got to look at that. We've got to look at, you know, emotional issues, relational issues, different things like that. And then also really focusing in on sleep. I think most people in society have really poor sleep hygiene as a whole. I know growing up, I had terrible sleep hygiene, right? And even if I, you know, if I'm not paying attention, I do the same right now. Like I'll, I'll end up 
you know, looking at my phone at 1030 at night. Right. And so we've got to really focus in on, on good sleep hygiene. Everybody needs a good night's sleep. And it's amazing what happens when we're able to sleep well. Right. So trying to get to bed by 10, 1030 at night, trying to reduce the amount of blue light exposure. There's so many people, if you walk in their home at like 9, 930, all their lights are on right in their home, right? It's just massive amounts of blue light that's impacting their body. So you got to dim your lights. And, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure Dr. Axe, people tell you this too. They're like, I get my second win at nine o'clock. I tell people, you really, you really shouldn't have goals after nine o'clock at night. If you have goals, you're going to stimulate your fight or flight nervous system. You're going to stimulate cortisol. You're going to stimulate all your stress hormones and you're going to feel good for a period of time. You may even be productive, but that's going to that's going to take away your melatonin that your body needs to produce at night, your human growth hormone. You're not going to be able to heal and repair overnight effectively, right? So even if you sleep eight, nine hours, but you go to bed at like 1 a.m., it's not going to be as rejuvenating as if you were to be in bed before midnight. Every hour of sleep before midnight is equivalent to three hours of the regenerative capacity of the sleep after midnight. So you got to wow. do your best to, to have good sleep hygiene, right? Dim the lights, um, try to just relax, right? No stressful conversations, right? Just relaxing conversations, read a book, you know, things like that before bed, as you wind down, it makes a really a world of difference. So, you know, I always look at that. I look at diet, right? So what is somebody eating throughout the day? Of course, we want as much real food as possible. We want foods that help stabilize blood sugar, right? So healthy fats, whether it's things like avocados, olives, olive oil, grass-fed butter, um, you know, healthy proteins, right? So grass-fed organic animal products, super important, lots of vegetables, herbs, right? And trying to find a diet that works best for them, right? So for some people, they, they need a lower fermentable diet, whereas other people do great with more fermentable foods, right? So fermented foods, whether, you know, it's like sauerkraut, things like that, or, um, you know, higher, higher prebiotic foods, right? So prebiotic foods would be things like broccoli, cauliflower, artichoke. Some people do great with a lot of prebiotic foods, I found that some people don't do so good with those, right? Because they already have too much bacteria in their system that's translocated into their small intestine, typically uh, creating a condition called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And so those people actually need a less fermentable foods, right? So kind of trying to figure out where somebody is on the spectrum, but in general, just cleaning their diet up right off the bat. I know you and I have both seen when somebody cleans up their diet, you know, majority of people will get well, right? They'll, they'll see yeah. significant improvements in their, you know, in in their their overall health. However, when we're working with really tough cases, we need to start to understand, you know, how how the body breaks down different foods. And for some people, like there's there's a simple test that I'll have people do. That the the first one is the steak test. So you eat a steak. And then you just, that's all you eat and you give yourself two or three hours and you see how you feel. If you feel like the steak is sitting on your stomach, if you've got acid reflux, if you um, feel nauseous, right? You just don't feel like you're digested that steak. It's a sign you have low stomach acid. So we've got to really address stomach acid. We've got to do things like taking ginger before meals or apple cider vinegar before meals. Um, possibly taking stomach acid support, betaine HCL could be really helpful. Taking deep breaths before your meal activates your vagus nerve, which helps stimulate your, your production of stomach acid. Um, doing things like just really taking, taking a moment and smelling your food and saying a prayer before you eat actually helps stimulate the vagus nerve, 
right? Which now activates stomach acid production so you can digest your meal more effectively, right? So these are things we focus on if somebody fails a steak test. The next test is the broccoli test, right? So you eat a bowl of broccoli, you should feel great afterwards. If you have, if in the next two to three hours, you're feeling bloated, if you've got gas, right? That's a sign that you have too much fermentable bacteria and possibly you're not producing enough pancreatic enzymes. Mm. Okay. So, you know, basically what, what do we want to do? We want to add in some enzymes. We may want to reduce the amount of fermentable fibers in the diet, at least for a period of time. We might want to take some antimicrobials, possibly some oil of oregano or something like that um, to help reduce the amount of overall bacteria that's in the system. Then we can reintroduce the broccoli and see how you do. And then the third test is a fat bomb test. So you get a fat bomb, which go to Dr. Axe's website. I'm sure you got some great recipes for that. Basically, it's like coconut butter and chocolate. (laughs) So you take that, you should feel good, right? You should feel great if you eat that, you know, over the next two to three hours. If you feel like, if you feel nauseous, you have acid reflux, right? Any of these unwanted digestive symptoms is a sign you're not producing bile. You're not, your body has very stagnant bile. So we need things that are going to help move the bile. So that's going to be things like dandelion root. Um, You have things like radishes, just eating radishes before a meal actually can really help stimulate digestive juice production and bile flow. Um, Artichokes are fantastic for that. Now, Dr. Dave, quick question, just to clarify for everybody, when you reference the broccoli, are you talking about cooked broccoli or raw? Same same goes for radishes, you know, are these cooked or these raw? Yeah. So for the test, I recommend doing cooked broccoli, like steamed broccoli. Yep. Okay. That is the easy, it's a lot easier for your digestive system to handle steamed broccoli than it is raw broccoli. Yep. So you can actually try it either way. Some people do great with steamed. They just don't do as well when it's raw. Okay. But if you fail the steamed broccoli test, you have a serious issue going on there. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're definitely not breaking down that broccoli and you've got bacterial overgrowth that's, that's fermenting it fast. I, I, I love this advice, Dr. Dave, because it's, it's a form of testing that's natural. And I would say in many cases, it's more conclusive and, and, um, th- th- than doing a lot of the standardized tests out there today, you know? And so anyways, I love this test. I think it's great advice and it's sort of which organ system, uh, are you having an issue with steak? It's going to be a lot of stomach, you know, when we're talking stomach, if it's, uh, if it's vegetables like that, it's going to be pancreas. And if it's, uh, if it's fat, it's going to be gallbladder slash liver. So anyways, I love, I-, I think this is fantastic advice, um, that you're given here and want to encourage everybody do this test. I know for myself, I had a point in time. And by the way, everybody, this is when, when I've talked about, as everybody's heard me talk about, uh, if you're a regular listener, we've talked about different emotions that affect different organ systems. So worry affects the pancreas, mm. um, is really the big one there. Uh, anger, frustration, and patience that affects the gallbladder liver. So also, you know, fixing those emotions. I know when I was trying to grow, my practice early on, I was not digesting fats well because I was frustrated because things weren't growing fast enough and I was impatient. And so that affected that organ system now that it's better. And, and I took ox bile at that time, actually, and yep. milk thistle and, um, and ate some of those foods Dave's talking about, like dandelion greens and radishes, all those things help. But also the other root cause was healing the emotions like Dr. Dave talked about. So anyways, Dr. Dave, I love this advice. Fantastic. 
let's talk about a few other things. And I want to get into specific conditions like uh, cancer and a few other things. Let's talk about fasting for a minute. You've got a new book out yeah. called The Fasting Transformation. And by the way, you guys can pick up this book at bookstores nationwide. Amazon.com is a great place to find it. Talk to me about the benefits of fasting. And I have one other question I want you to talk about after the benefits. Who should fast and who are a few people that maybe shouldn't do fasting? Yeah, for sure. Well, I really think fasting is the most ancient, inexpensive, and perhaps the most powerful healing strategy known to mankind. I mean, all of our ancestors did it. They didn't have food, you know, they didn't have pantries and refrigerators like we do. So if they had a poor harvest or if they didn't have a good hunt, then they ended up fasting. Like there was no food, right? And sometimes they would go days and even weeks without food. And then it's even built into many different cultures and religions, right? So if you look at for example, Ramadan, that's a, you know, in, in the Islamic tradition, they, they fast for a, roughly a month, a period of, of a month where they don't eat during from sunrise to sunset. In, you know, Judaism, you've got Yom Kippur, right? In, Christ, in Christianity, you have Lent, right? So we've got all these built in cultural practices around fasting and fasting is really ancient medicine. So Hippocrates talked a lot about fasting, Plato, Socrates, right? All the ancient Greeks talked about fasting. Plato said he fasts for greater mental and physical efficiency. So he talked about how his brain would function better. And that's because when we fast, we don't have an available access to glucose, right? To something that increases our blood sugar. So we start to break down our stored body fat. However, fatty acids, although they, they work great as a fuel for the muscles, we can't get them across the blood brain barrier. So the, so the liver actually converts them to something called ketone bodies. And these ketones cross the blood brain barrier and they're a great fuel source for the brain. In fact, they're really clean energy because we, they, they produce significantly less metabolic waste than breaking down sugar. And they produce significantly more overall energy. And they actually increase the amount of mitochondria the brain has 10,000 mitochondria per cell, which is amazing. Our, our typical, our muscle cells have 1,000 mitochondria per cell. Your heart is 5,000. The brain is 10,000. Mitochondria love ketones as an energy source. So the brain itself thrives off of ketones. In fact, there's something called your neuroinflammasome, which is basically like this overall, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like the security system for the brain. So if the brain senses that there's infectious bacteria or something along those lines, the neuroinflammasome goes on, right? So it turns on, turns up inflammation throughout the brain. Well, we also know that insulin resistance in the brain turns on the neuroinflammasome. And a lot of people are dealing with poor blood sugar issues and insulin resistance in their brain. In fact, they call Alzheimer's disease type three diabetes because it's classified by poor blood sugar regulation. We know that when you get ketones up in your bloodstream, it shuts off the neuroinflammasome. So it shuts off this entire security system of inflammation, right? That has a huge impact on your creativity, on your brain function, your, your ability to think sharply and quickly, uh, reducing your risk of dementia and Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, all the different neurodegenerative conditions, right? So you see significant improvements in your overall function. You feel that, like you literally feel that when those ketones are elevated, you just feel so good. And fasting is the natural way. You can do it through diet manipulation. You can do supplements that elevate your ketones, but fasting is a natural way that all of our ancestors got ketones elevated in their brain and they saw this down-regulation of inflammation in their brain and throughout their body. So fasting does that. Fasting also activates stem cells, right? So these new young embryonic cells 
that are more stress resilient. And that, that includes, you know, stem cells in your joints, right? We think about like stem cell therapy. Well, you can actually give yourself your own natural form of stem cell therapy on a regular basis by practicing some form of fasting. And we'll go into different strategies, but it could be intermittent fasting, could be extended fasting to really activate those, uh, those stem cells. And you also turn up something called autophagy. And that's basically where your body breaks down old damaged cellular debris, right? So you have within every cell, you've got your mitochondria, you've got all these different proteins that are working and they've got to work, you know, obviously all throughout the day, all the time. And they're constantly being hit by free radicals, this onslaught of oxidative stress, and they need to be repaired on a regular basis. When we're constantly in a fed state, because we're, we're, we're eating three, four, five meals a day and snacks and all that kind of stuff, we're not allowing the body. We're actually providing a, a massive load of interference. We're not taking time away and allowing the body to heal and repair itself. Getting our insulin levels and our blood sugar levels down by restricting food is the best way to turn on cellular repair, this process of autophagy where the body actually breaks down these damaged mitochondria and then turns them into new, healthier mitochondria so we become more stress resilient in all areas of our life. So fasting is just so powerful and it doesn't cost anything, right? It's actually really easy to, to apply. I love it, Dave. So, so talk to me about this. So when, when we're talking fasting, what groups of people benefit the most? And I know everybody can benefit, yeah. but, but like when you have a patient come in, who are the people you're saying you really need to do fasting right now? Yeah, well, well, certainly people that are overweight, right? So if you have got, you know, an extra 20, 30 pounds on you, that is a lot of energy that's literally stored. It's like stored energy in a bank account. And unless we get your insulin levels down, insulin is a fat storage hormone. It's also a pro-inflammatory hormone. So it turns mm -hmm. up inflammation in the body. And most people have really high fasting insulin levels. So you would test your fasting insulin by doing like a 12 to 14 hour fast overnight, going in, getting blood work in the morning, and then that will tell us what your fasting insulin levels are. Ideal levels are somewhere around two to five, two to five units. I see people that, you know, their levels would be 15, 16, right? So that's really, really high. And when that's the case, they can't burn fat for fuel. So the best way to turn down insulin is to stop eating. It's fasting. So for people that are, have a little bit of extra weight, fasting usually is pretty easy. Now, just like anything, just like exercise, if you don't exercise and then you go out and, you know, you work out with Dr. Axe here for, for, you know, an hour in the gym, you're going to be really sore and uncomfortable, right? You're going to be uncomfortable during the workout. And then you're going to be uncomfortable for several days afterwards because he's trained, he's fit. You're, and, and if you haven't trained, you're not ready for that. But if we were to start you slowly, right, you, you were to get in, you know, maybe do a five minute walk on the treadmill, you know, maybe some calisthenics or something like that. Not so uncomfortable. Now you start to progress. You start to get more fit. Well, it's the same thing with fasting. We want to build your fasting fitness level. That's really the key. So it's yeah. kind of leaning into it, gradually progressing it. But yeah, anybody that's overweight, they're going to tend to, to respond the best. Okay. And then also, um, you know, people that possibly have had experience with it or are more metabolically flexible in general, right? So somebody that perhaps has done fasting in the past or, uh, you know, just tends to be pretty healthy, they tend to have, you know, no major problems as they get going. Now, the, the, the demographic that has the most trouble is the lean, you know, lean, young menstruating females 
who are doing yeah. CrossFit and they're also very stressed and they have three kids. Yeah. Right. So they have more trouble. So we've got to really, they can still practice it, but we've got to do some, you know, there are some key strategies that we apply to make sure that they're getting the best results. And I'll say those are the very same people that don't do well with keto. Either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're right. Because it, it's that same thing. Cause when you have those high stress hormones the the, the, the body can't handle and in a way, another, it's a less stress on one system, but it's more on another. It's just, it takes a lot of adaptability. I think it's hard for those people. So I'm, I'm with you. I noticed that as I started working with people that, you know what, that, that there's that group of people with high stress hormones that we need to be a little bit more, we need to ease them into it more. So anyways, I, I'm totally with you there, Dr. Dave. Hey guys, Dr. Axe here. You know, I founded Ancient Nutrition with Jordan Rubin because we are on a mission to bring you history's healthiest whole food nutrients that can help you transform your health. You know, we've seen these amazing health transformations with our own families. My mom, Jordan himself, and our friends by using these ancient principles. And we use ancient principles when we formulate each and every one of our products. In fact, our turmeric formula uses the ancient Ayurvedic method and has other herbs to make the turmeric more absorbable. And we want you to experience these incredible benefits. Whether you're looking to boost your immune system, improve digestion, balance hormones, increase energy, sleep more soundly, or get the beauty benefits of thicker hair and fewer wrinkles, Ancient Nutrition is here to support you. Get $10 off your next purchase of just $40 or more with the code PODCAST10. I can't wait to hear about your personal health transformation. I love talking about fasting because I share this with people like for years, I, I did intermittent fasting because I know this is another thing you're a fan of. And so I did intermittent fasting for several years. And body did pretty good on it. But then I started following more of a Chinese medicine diet. What's interesting though, even if you look at what I teach today, which is more of the TCM diet or Ayurvedic diet, these diets, they still recommend you eat around 9 a.m. And then again at like noon or one, and then at five, you're still in about an eight hour eating no. window to maximum 10 to where you're still only eating a third of the day. And then you have about 16 hours to 14 of your body's not doing anything. Your body's resting. And so all that being said, even if you look at, no matter what ancient civilization it is, people were not eating from when they woke up to right before bed and then snack, like in snacking like that. Like that's not what anybody does well on. So I think one of the keys there that I know you've talked about, and I've heard you train people on is just closing down that eating window. It doesn't have to be where you're not eating for a month straight. It can be, Hey, just close down that eating window. Can you talk about the simplicity of how you teach fasting in your book and a little a bit about that intermittent fast? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing we start with is what we call the simple fast, which is 12 hours overnight. So if you finish your last meal at, let's say, seven o'clock at night, you just don't eat anything with calories until 7 a.m. the next morning. Now, this is actually really easy. That's why we call it the simple fast. But there are so many people out there that just unconsciously, they're just not really thinking about it. They're nibbling on things late at night. They wake up in the morning. They're like, I've got to eat something right away uh, to start my day. And that's a really bad approach as a whole, because yeah. every time you eat something with calories, even if it's even if it's like pure fat, you're elevating your insulin levels. You're not allowing your body to take a break from producing insulin. And so, you know, at night you can drink herbal tea like chamomile tea or something 
like, ah, that's great. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, we're all dehydrated. We breathe out water vapor all night long. And so all of us are in a state of dehydration when we first wake up. So hydrating your body right off the bat, eight to 16 ounces of water. You could do herbal tea if you want, warm lemon water, which is really great for you know your digestive juices, for detoxification. You do things like that. No real calories in there. So that's great. And a lot of people will tell me they're really hungry when they first wake up. But hunger is actually, you know, our, our, our stomach, uh, we have this hormone called ghrelin and hunger very often is a conditioned response. So when we don't have anything in our stomach, we produce this hormone ghrelin, which goes up to the brain in the hypothalamus and tells us we're hungry. But if we start by drinking water, that actually stretches the stomach, inhibits the release of ghrelin, and now we no longer have that sensation. And so I recommend you start your day with water, eight to 16 ounces at least, working your way up to 24 to 32 ounces of water before you even think about eating any food. So you super hydrate your system and that actually delays the feelings of hunger. And so over time, it becomes really easy to do the 12 hours. And then you start pushing into the 14 hour fast. And then from there, you kind of can, can, can experiment and see how you feel. So you can start drinking a little bit more water if you get hungry pushing it up to 16 hours. 16 hour fast is really common in our society. That's kind of what you were talking about there. It's called a 16-8. Yep. Um, really common and a great fast to do. By the time you fasted for 16 hours, you've started to produce some of those ketones that are so neuroprotective, right? Protecting the nerve cells um, and your body's breaking down stored body fat. So that's a really good strategy. Now, what I'll do with, you know, those lean females that are, you know, type A, real stressed, is I'll do something where we'll move into that direction and we might do a 16-hour fast twice a week, non-consecutive days, something called a crescendo fast. And we do it on non-workout days. And that way they're not overloading their stressors, right? So work, so exercise is a stress, you know, there's all these different stressors that are taking place. We don't want to overload and stack the stressors until you're metabolically flexible enough to handle those. And so we might do a 16 hour fast, like on Monday and Friday, for example, right? And then the other day is doing something like a 12 to 14 hour fast. That way we're getting a little bit of that period of time where we're boosting a little bit of ketones and getting some time for autophagy where the body's actually breaking down these older damaged cells. So we want to get some of that component in. And then the person will see how they feel, right? So if they're good with the two days a week, we may decide to implement a third day, right? Doing it like uh, every other day, like an alternative day, for example, right? And if you feel good there, you might experiment and push one of your 16-hour fasts to an 18-hour fast and see how you feel. So you're kind of leaning into it. Meanwhile, you're trying to stay hydrated during your fasting window, right? So during your fasting window, really good, good idea to stay hydrated, you might even take some salts. Salts take stress off the adrenals. We need the salts. We need the sodium, the trace minerals in order to produce stress hormones. And when we are, when we are dehydrated or deficient in any of these types of electro, electrolytes, and, and the biggest, actually the biggest electrolyte that people are deficient in is sodium, believe it or not. Hmm. Most people think it's potassium. Like we need to eat more potassium, this and that. Yeah. But especially as you fast, when your insulin levels start to drop, you excrete sodium. Insulin causes you to retain sodium. So somebody that's insulin resistant, they do need to be on a low sodium diet if they're eating, you know, a standard high carbohydrate diet. But if you're eating a lower carbohydrate diet, a ketogenic diet, or if you're doing fasting, you actually need more sodium. Your body's going to deplete it. You're going to pee it out. So you need that sodium. So it could be as simple as just taking a little bit of salt and putting it on your tongue. 
right? And it's as simple as that. And you'll notice that your energy improves. In some cases, I see that if, if people take magnesium, that really helps. Also moving your bowels, right? So moving your bowels in the morning, between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., your large intestine is most active. You should be having at least one to two good bowel movements, really clearing everything out from the day before during that period of time. If you don't move your bowels well, you're going to have a lot of endotoxins that are released. And if you're fasting, fasting in general, you're going to release more endotoxins. So if you have this double whammy where you're constipated, you're not moving your bowels and you're fasting, you've got a massive load of endotoxins that are going to affect the brain. And that's going to cause, you know, irritability. It's going to cause, um, <clears throat> you know, basically anxiety. It's going to cause a lot of different unwanted symptoms. And so it's really, really important to stay hydrated, move your bowels early in the morning. Um, magnesium can really help with that. <clears throat> herbal teas or different herbal teas that you can utilize to help with that. But uh, that's, that's a really key hack, getting, getting the right sodium, taking a little bit of salts, be really, really good hacks for, uh, for helping move the bowels and having sustained energy. Once you adapt to fasting, you actually notice that you can have, you have your best memory. You have your best energy. Like I do my best work when I'm in a fasted state mm -hmm. and I'm really lean. And this is where you want to be. So ultimately the end goal, Josh, is I want to see everybody, unless you're, unless you're pregnant or you're, you know, you're LeBron James, right. In the middle of NBA season or something like that. I believe it's incredibly therapeutic to do a one day, 20 to 24 hour fast a week. Now, not, not just starting that overnight. Again, we got we to gotta actually um, train our body to be able to handle that, but doing one day a week where we, were, where we restrict food, okay, we get massive amounts of cellular cleanup when we do that. And so if I can get everybody doing a 20 to 24 hour fast, so that would be like you eat dinner from six to seven on Monday night, and then you fast until let's say, you know, 5.30 or whenever when you're making dinner, um, the following night. And all you're doing is drinking water, herbal teas, things like that. You could do black coffee if you want um, throughout the day, the next day. If you do that once a week, your risk of, of developing degenerative disease goes down significantly. In wow. fact, I believe that we can, if, if we make good diet changes, like you recommended, and then implement a fasting lifestyle, working up to where we're, we're taking one day a week and we are restricting food during that day, we can literally reduce the risk of chronic disease by 99%. It's incredible, Dr. Dave. You know, I, I want to encourage you guys, check out Dr. Dave's book. It's called The Fasting Transformation. And, uh, you know, one of the things going back to, I just want to mention here with uh, Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, what they would recommend, and you've done this, and I know because you've recommended it, but you wake up in the morning and one of the first things you do is you drink a lot of warm water, warm tea. Mm. They say just a pinch of lemon juice, could be herbal yeah. tea or just water, and then get out and walk. They would say at least a thousand mm. steps. So, you know, get, get out and move. And think about what that does for your bowels. You get a little bit of that citrus, which is going to activate the liver, support bile, get some of those bowels going, doing just what you're saying. Take deep breaths in and out, you know, while you're walking there as well. And then, hey, you, you know, eat around, you know, eight or nine or 10, just a little bit later in the morning and then get going with your day. But anyways, I love that advice. And we do know you referenced Hippocrates earlier. You know, he's, he's famous for saying, let food be thy medicine. But the next line in that is, but to eat when one's sick mm. is to feed disease. And so 
anyways, yeah. when you're not feeling well or to eat when you're sick is to feed the disease versus to not eat when you're sick is to allow your body to start to heal that disease. And so anyways, I love that advice. I want to talk about a couple more things, Dr. Dave. I'd love to hear your personal regimen. So what, what is your diet look like? Like, what do you, what do you having for breakfast and lunch? And what is some of the supplements you're, you're taking on a regular basis? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for the most part, I stay fairly low carb, but I do cycle out. So I do have a higher carb day, usually once, sometimes twice a week. And so what, what I do is um, on, a, on a weekly basis, I'm usually doing a 16 to 18 hour fast five days a week. So I do intermittent fasting. I don't eat breakfast. I just feel a lot better. I get my best work done earlier in the day. Then usually for lunch, um, either having le leftovers of something that we had the night before, or oftentimes I'll make a high fat protein shake. So I'll put an avocado in, I'll put coconut milk in there. I'll put some bone broth or collagen protein in and, um, you know, sometimes some berries, usually not. Uh, and I usually just make a protein shake like that. I love to munch on radishes. I was talking about that earlier, right? So just raw radishes, which seems really, really weird. My wife's always like, this is so weird, but I love it. Um, just the, the chewing, right. The juice that comes out of them. Yep. Sometimes I'll dice up some cucumbers and put some lemon juice and some herbs on it, like Mediterranean herbs, like oregano, basil, thyme, something along those lines. I like something crunchy and juicy, but yeah. also a good protein shake. I don't like a lot of stress on my digestive system during the day because I'm usually working really intensely. So I like something along those lines on the weekends. I might have leftovers or, you know, I might have meat or something like that. Um, and then for dinner, it's usually meat, vegetables, you know, basically whatever, whatever we're having as a family. And, um, it's usually high protein, high healthy fats, lots of vegetables. And I, and I feast, I have my biggest meal in the evening. So I eat lighter during the day. And then I have my biggest meal in the evening and, uh, two days a week, I just do one meal a day. I just do one meal, right. So, uh, during those days, those are non-workout days. Usually it's Wednesday and Saturday. So oftentimes on Wednesday, I'll do uh, like a big lunch, uh, or just a big dinner. And then on Saturday, I just fast. It's my Sabbath. I just fast uh, all day until the evening. And um, it's just a great day. I get in my sauna that day as much as I can. And it's just a great day for healing and detoxification. And so that's typically what I'm doing. And then for supplements, um, I'm big on digestive enzymes. I take digestive enzymes with every meal. I take probiotics with meals. I take uh, uh, soil-based probiotics. In fact, um, I actually use a product you, you created, Keto Digest, that I take with my meals typically. Um, I love taking turmeric with meals as well, right, to reduce inflammation in the yep. system. So that's another big one that, <clears throat> that I'll take. Um, I take, let's see, uh, I take adaptogens, right? So ashwagandha, um, big on that one medicinal mushrooms. So usually they're all blends that I'm taking yep. with meals. And then also I'll take stuff uh, in the morning. Uh, when I first wake up, I usually take vitamin C. I'm usually taking, um, let's see what else is in my morning. So I'm taking binders, right? So some different bioactive carbons, which are um, basically extracts of humic and, and uh, fulvic acids yeah. that help to bind and help my body detoxify. So I take some that are specific for molds, for um, heavy metals, glyphosate, different, different toxins that are in my system. So I take that and um, in the evening, I'm taking supplements that help with sleep, right? So passion flower, 
software, um, chamomile, right? Some, some different things like that. So some different adaptogens that really help with facilitating really good sleep. I love That's it. usually what I'm taking throughout the course of the day. It's a lot of stuff, but a lot of good stuff. It's great. A couple more yeah. questions here. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but wanted to get these in. So talk to me about keto quickly. Who is keto for and who is it not for typically? But, but if you're saying, okay, th this is the group of people that, that need to do keto the most, who are those people and how does keto benefit them? Yeah. So again, anybody that's overweight or has insulin resistance, the way you know you have insulin resistance, well, one easy way is if you have extra abdominal fat. If you have extra abdominal fat, that is a classic sign of insulin resistance. And in that case, what that means your body is producing more insulin than it needs in order to bring down blood sugar. It's having trouble hearing that, that message from insulin. And so it's promoting too much fat storage. So for those individuals, we really need to restrict the amount of insulin that your body produces. So intermittent fasting helps with that. But then also when you eat food, you want foods that are more insulin friendly or more blood sugar stabilizing. So that's going to be your healthy fats. That's going to be your non-starchy vegetables. It's going to be your healthy proteins, right? They all provide satiation and they also don't spike your insulin levels as opposed to your starches and your sugars. If you eat rice, if you eat, you know, even healthy starches like sweet potatoes, you're, you're going to tend to have a much higher rise of insulin than if you eat an avocado or if you eat, you know, a chicken breast or something along those lines. Yeah. So we want high fat, um, high to moderate to high protein and very low carbohydrate. And that's really what we're looking for on a ketogenic diet. So anybody that's looking to lose weight for sure. Um, also anybody that's dealing or possibly has a family history of brain disorders, we know that getting those ketones up in the brain is so therapeutic. So if you have a family history of dementia, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, then spending some time in ketosis. And ketosis is really a physiological state. It's, it's not really a diet, although we can use the keto diet um, in order to help facilitate that, right? Now, do you need to be in ketosis all year round, all the time? I doubt many people need to do that. However, um, you know, the more diseased your body is, the more insulin resistant you are, if you have diabetes, if you have, if you've, you know, have maybe early stage of dementia or something like that, you might need to spend more time than somebody else, right? And so you really have to tailor it to you. But the ketogenic diet is going to work great for anybody that's looking to lose weight, for anybody that's looking to just really significantly reduce inflammation in their system. Ketones help reduce inflammation. So that's why we want to do that. Um, in general, I'm a big fan of going in and out of nutritional ketosis, meaning where we want to spend a period of time in ketosis where our body's um, increasing the amount of ketones in the system. And then we can also take some time, eat some more carbs and be out of ketosis for a period of time, right? Kind of cycling back and forth and kind of finding the right rhythm that works best for you. Yep. I, I love that advice. I want to encourage you guys. I know myself and Dr. Dave have written books on the keto diet. Dr. Dave's is specifically Keto Metabolic Breakthrough. And again, you can find that on amazon.com or bookstores, but I would just go on Amazon and look up Dr. Jockers. It's J-O-C-K-E-R-S, Dr. Jockers. And he's written several books. You can find them there on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. And I want to encourage you guys to check out Dr. Dave's books there. But again, you're, Dave, you, you have also written some really 
excellent articles on keto. So I want to encourage you guys, you could also go do a online search in your search engine, whether it be DuckDuckGo or Google or whatever you use and search Dr. Jocker's Keto. And he's written some fantastic articles there as well. Um, last thing I want to ask you about specifically, I was going to get into more conditions, but I want to ask you about cancer specifically. You know, I think that obviously as a condition, it's grown a lot over the years. It's probably the condition people have the most fear of outside of certain viruses or up there with certain viruses. That being said, what are some of the things you recommend if you have somebody like if you have a family member or somebody you're caring for and they get that diagnosis, what are some of the big things you have them do in terms of the specifics, in terms of uh, the foods they eat, the supplements you recommend and any other recommendations? Yeah, for sure. Well, cancer is definitely one of those areas where ketosis works for many people, not for mm -hmm. everybody. Some people do just, you know, they do better. Uh, there's been a lot of people that have done plant-based and done really, really well, but ketosis in general does, does well. And I, I typically recommend a lower protein ketogenic diet. And the reason for that is number one, we want to suppress insulin. Insulin drives um, cell reproduction. We know cancer is already with cancer cells. We already have accelerated cell reproduction. So we want to, we want to shut that down. And on top of that, there's a, there's a growth pathway called mTOR mammalian target of rapamycin. And a lot of protein or a lot of amino acids can drive up too much mTOR activity. And we know that cancer cells already have hyperactive mTOR pathways. So we don't want to do a lot of protein for somebody that it has cancer. So we tend to do what we call more of a plant-based or lower protein ketogenic diet, right? And getting their ketones up. And, in, and with cancer, we actually want their ketones very, very high, especially if it's a fast growing tumor. So there's something called the glucose ketone index, where you, you take your overall glucose, your, the amount of uh, sugar, blood sugar you have, fasting glucose, you divide it by the fasting ketones, uh, so your, your, your overall ketone level, and you divide it by 18. And uh, it should be basically, you want it to be as close to one to one as possible. I'm sorry, you take your blood sugar divided by 18, and then you do that over your fasting ketones. And you want it to be as close to one-to-one -one as possible. And that can actually be monitored. A lot of, um, you know, holistic nutritionists that, that uh, you know, that work with cancer patients are doing this. I know my team, we, they, we look at what your glucose ketone index looks like. And we're trying to get it in this therapeutic range, right? So cancer keto, uh, ketosis can be really, really effective. And then also trying to get a lot of plant-based nutrients in the system, a lot of phytonutrients, right? So we're doing that from really low carb sources, things like ginger and basil, turmeric, oregano, right? So a lot of herbs, a lot of non-starchy vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, um, kale, collard greens, right? A lot of these types of things that are not going to elevate blood sugar and insulin levels, but at the same time going to provide a mega dose of nutrients. And you can even juice some of these things, right? Lemons, limes, fantastic because they're loaded with vitamin C, bioflavonoids, um, lots of different electrolytes in them. And at the same time, you know, they're, they're, they're very, very low in sugar. So they're not going to impact your blood sugar and just the sourness in general keeps your blood sugar stable, right? So whether it's vinegar or whether it's, um, lemon or lime, something along those lines. So those things are fantastic. And then what we want to do is we want to metabolically stress the cancer. So we do that with diet, right? So we do that with intermittent fasting, maybe an extended fast or two, um, or a partial fast where you're doing a, a less amount of calories than you normally would. So a partial fast 
On a partial fast, you want somewhere between like 25 to maybe up to maximum 40% of the calories that you would normally eat. So most people are eating somewhere around 2000. Most, most women are eating about 2000. Men are eating like 2,500 to 3000 calories a day. So you know, on a partial fast, you're doing something like 400 to maybe up to 800 calories. So it could be something like um, there's something called a fasting mimicking diet that's out there. <laughs> Uh, but you can make your own. That's actually an actual program where you're purchasing the food, but you can make your own. You can do it with, you know, basically like having two salads a day with avocado in them, uh, more or less. And that's basically it. And you're doing kind of this low, this partial fast where you're not getting the amount of calories that you need, but you are getting some nutrients and some calories. And you do that for five days. And then you go back to kind of more of a, a normal calorie load right? From that perspective. So you do that and that can really drive up autophagy, stem cell development, shut down cancer cell growth, right? So we're trying to manipulate the diet to get the ketones elevated, to drive up cellular repair. And then, so that's the press, we metabolically press, and then we pulse it with oxidative therapies. So from a conventional model, chemotherapy or radiation are oxidative therapies. They create massive amounts of oxidation that kill cancer cells. Unfortunately, they can also kill normal cells. However, if you're in ketosis, you're actually going to preserve more of the healthy cells, right? So you're going to have better, a better response where you're going to actually selectively target the cancer cells more effectively if you are in, in, in a state of ketosis. If you don't want to use conventional therapy, then um, what you do is you do some sort of natural oxidative therapy. That could be hyperbaric oxygen. That could be uh, something along the lines of uh, IV vitamin C, right? So these are great oxidative therapies. Oxygen is strengthening to normal cells, but it's oxidative to cancer cells, right? So it destroys cancer cells. Cancer cells are, are anaerobic. That means that they can't produce energy with oxygen. They actually can't utilize oxygen for energy. So oxygen is toxic for them. So we can pump the system full of oxygen utilizing the hyperbaric chamber to really um, get the oxygen deep into the tissues. And that actually, again, strengthening the normal cells, right? In fact, a lot of athletes use it to help recover, right? But then it also selectively kills the cancer cells. Or you could do something like IV vitamin C, where when they're pumping in that vitamin C, that actually becomes an oxidant, a pro-oxidant that damages the cancer cells. Mm. So it's a press-pulse system was developed by Dr. Thomas Seyfried. We metabolically stress the cancer cell with um, ketogenic diet and fasting. And then we pulse it with oxidative therapies. Again, conventional methods or, and, or, I guess you could use all of them, um, your natural, natural therapies like hyperbaric oxygen, IV vitamin C. I love it. It's great advice there. I want to encourage you guys, again, check out Dr. Dave has written some great articles on cancer. If you look up Dr. Jocker's cancer um, in your uh, search engine. You're going to find some great articles there on drjockers.com. I want to say again, I want to remind you guys, go to amazon.com, go to barnesandnoble.com, go to your local bookstore and check out Dr. Jocker's books. It is Keto Metabolic Breakthrough if you want to learn about keto, the fasting transformation if you want to learn more about fasting. And also again, you can go to his website and check out his many great and detailed articles on how to use food as medicine. Dr. Jockers, I want to say thanks so much for joining me today and pray everybody has a blessed week. I'll be back next week with another show as well. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. 
Make sure to go to my recent Instagram post and let me know what your favorite part of the show was. Also, don't forget to follow me at Dr. Josh Axe there on Insta, where I cover the latest health trends, natural medicine, and so much more. Also, if you're loving this podcast, do me a big favor, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Thanks so much for being on mission with me. See you next week. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. In some cases, individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein.